You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. Here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Allen and Shannon Etheridge. I love that people love our show, Shannon. <laughs> I love that too. We have that in common. <laughs> that we get emails from people at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. That people jump on iTunes and leave us reviews and leave us comments and leave us five stars. And that helps us climb the charts. And I love that we get questions. I mean, I, I just love our listeners because they are engaged and they're involved. And I think I know why. You want to guess? Why? There's a payoff? Um, there's sex involved. <laughs> well, not with us. No, no, no. And Only with your spouse. Yes, absolutely. And and because that's what we're talking about with Sexy Marriage Radio is is we believe that sex is the best happening in the marriage bed. And we want that to just continue to, to be better and better and better as people go through the seasons of life and as they experience things. And so it's interesting because people can email and say, you know, hey, I love the show, and I'm jealous of the conversations that you guys have. And, you know, because it seemed like, you know, for real quick, if you're just joining Sexy Marriage Radio as an audience, um, Shannon and I are not married to each other. We represent 40-plus years of marriage, though, to our respective spouses. And, and we're she- both married to certified public accountants. That's true. We both are married to CPA, so Excel spreadsheets play a big role in their life, not ours. Um, <laughs> and... and but it is one of those that it can seem like, man, we, since we talk about this, that, man, we must be having fabulous sex with our spouse. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, no, not all the time. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Corey. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, right. I, I don't want people getting that impression. No, either. no. I mean, because we are still human. Um, I still step still up re- to the plate. Requires- oh, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I still step up to the plate and get, and strike out, you know? And so it's just, that's just what happens. And it still requires work. Yep. It still requires work. Yep, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's not something that just magically happens every day or even every other day or sometimes once a week is really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> but hey, as long as it's good, then it's good. And yeah, what I have found that's really helped my marriage is years and years ago, I started focusing on quality, not quantity. And that made a huge difference because at first, when I first came into married life, I'm just sitting there thinking, I want as much sex as I could possibly have because that's what's going to make it so good. And then I start realizing, wait, some of the times aren't that good. So maybe we need to figure out what we're doing and do it better, not necessarily more. And usually if you're enjoying it, you're going to have a little more, but that's not always the case. So I'm thinking of, we have a, a slew of emailers and listeners that have come in on this idea of high desire. It's usually the high desire spouse emailing the show. And it's usually the high desire spouse listening to the show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they're desperate to try. If they to can't up, have sex. They'll right. at least listen about yeah, it. <laughs> they're, they're desperate to up the desire in their spouse. You know, they want their spouse to want to have sex more. Mm. And I can, I get it. I mean, we did a show on the sexless marriage and, and the pain that that can involve and, and the struggle that that can involve. And, and so I, I'm thinking, let's, let's rehash this just a little bit, Shannon, because we, we've talked about this idea before of the high desire and the low desire spouse, that it's their points on a continuum and it's all 
in comparison to somebody else. You know, that I, I, I am a high desire spouse in my marriage because compared to my wife, I want sex more than she does. That's neither right nor wrong. It just is. So it's important to note that gender has nothing to do with it when it comes to desire differences. That is so true. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. A woman could be the high desire spouse just as easily as the man could be. And it could switch. It could change. You know, we did a show not just recently on that with a caller. Right. You know, we had a live caller of a listener and, and and Deb talked about how seasons had changed in her life and she switched roles. And that just, that happens. So, yep. And sometimes pregnancy or having young kids at home will yep. make a woman a lower desire. Or sometimes the hormones flowing due to pregnancy will make her the higher desire. Sometimes stress at work will kill his desire. Sometimes it will make him want to come home and, right. and just do anything other than think about work. And that usually means sex to distract him. You just never know. Right. And so it's it comes down to the person and the people involved, and it comes down to being able to confront yourself about who you are, what you're doing, what you want. And, and I'm thinking you've, you and I've talked a lot off the air on, on this idea of your core attachments. I think, tell me if I'm phrasing it right. Cause this is your ballpark, not mine as much. So help, help let's frame it in a different way. And maybe that helps our listeners get an idea of this concept in a different way. Yeah. Basically the most enlightening thing that I have learned through all of my years of lay counseling and coaching is that just like people have different love languages, you know, the Gary Chapman writes about how uh, it's either gifts or physical touch or quality time or acts of service or words of affirmation. That is your primary love language. And maybe you have a primary and a secondary, right. and maybe your spouse's love language is totally opposite of yours. And that you have to learn to communicate in that way that means the most to your spouse, not just in the way that means the most to you. Well, there's also something similar called the core attachment patterns that basically there are five unique ways that people interact. Uh, ideally, we would all be secure attachers. However, uh, so oftentimes we are raised in home environments where things aren't always ideal because we don't live in an ideal world and our parents weren't perfect people. And one of the five uh, directions, one of the five attachment styles that we gravitate toward as early as the first year of life, and I'll come back to that, is the avoider, the people pleaser, the vacillator, the controller, and the victim. Okay. And learning your core attachment style will totally open your eyes to the dynamic of what do we really fight about? And it's usually not about the same thing over and over, but you usually fight the same way over and over, right. or you love the same way over and over, or you have sex the same way over and over. And uh, incidentally, this is out of a book called How We Love by Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, a revolutionary approach to deeper connections in marriage. So I thought that it would be interesting for us to have a conversation today about the five different attachment styles and how it may impact the lens that you look at your own sexuality through. Right. How's that sound to you, Corey? That, yeah, I'm all for it because anything that will help people realize that, okay, here's the role I play in my life and here's how it's evolved. Here's why I do what I do. Here's what makes me feel better. Here's because I mean, if you think about it, we all have pains, we all have frustrations and we all figure out ways to medicate that. And some of them are healthy. Some of them aren't. 
and I, I'm hoping people realize, wait, the best thing I can do is, is be me, whatever that means. You know, what I think of, my wife and I just had this conversation, and I don't know if this applies at all. This may be totally a rabbit trail that does not fit at all, but let's see if it does. That There's a movie called The Tourist. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's been out for a while. You're about the William Hurt movie? No, I, maybe it's a different title, Maybe it's, but it's Angelina Jolie and um, Johnny Depp. Okay. And one, and oh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. There's I a scene. Yeah, there's a scene I use when I'm talking with nice guys because nice guys are the ones that they, they try to get what they want without having to ask for it. And so they, they manipulate and they're very covert. And so she's, you know, Angelina Jolie's in a, on a train and she's all doll, dolled up. And Johnny Depp's sitting there reading a book and she comes and sits down across from him. So it's chairs that are facing each other. And he immediately apologizes. When she sits down and she's for what and he's uh, uh i don't know and that's a typical trait of nice guys is we apologize for things that aren't our responsibility at all because we <laughs> think if i'm in good graces that will lead to what i really want <laughs> so it's a ploy for sex and, well it's a ploy for anything i mean attention <laughs> love whatever and 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 it's a it's a true thing i think and so but then it continues on where he's smoking an electronic cigarette and he's he makes a comment of Oh, I, do you mind if I smoke? It's not. It's not real. Look, it's a, it's electronic, and he's tapping it on his hand because it's just an LED light, and he puts it in his pocket, and it's just water vapor that he's blowing out, and and she's like, oh, well, that's rather disappointing, and he's, what do you mean? She's like, well, I would hope that a man would do whatever he pleases, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you talk about what would, dis what would show the true character of a man is if he did whatever he pleases, that would you would really know who he is. <laughs> Wouldn't you? But to me, it's, it speaks to me as a man because if I do whatever I pleases, it, whatever I please, what am I, who am I really? You know, Interesting. What, so that's my own self-development. That's my own process of development. That's my own becoming, if you will. And so if you're not trying to navigate and negotiate, you, what, what really comes out of you? Right. And, and that's, that truly does. My wife would really know it then. I mean, she already does. Cause she lives with me. She, you know, that's, there's no great, great men to their servants. <laughs> you know, the people you live with know who you really are. And man, that's a true statement. So I'm thinking if people can understand more of who they are, they can then all of a sudden figure out better ways to navigate what they want. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about these five different styles and allude to how to tell whether, you know, which category you might fall into. Uh, in all of my years of giving people this test, um, I would venture to say that I have found one secure connector, but hundreds of insecure connectors that fall into one of these five categories. Okay. So first there's the avoider avoiders have a tendency to think in terms of I'm fine. I don't need anything from anyone. Right. I'm happiest when everybody else is happy and doesn't expect a lot from me. Right. And so you can imagine how they're really easy to get along with as long as everything is going fine. <laughs> right. But when things aren't going fine, what do they have a tendency to do? Pull back yeah. into their shell. Yeah, they want to retreat. They turtle up. They want to avoid. Yep. Right. The next one is the people pleaser. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out their <laughs> modus operandi. They are willing to do or say or be anything that they perceive someone else wants them to be. Right. 
And let me kind of back up for a second and talk about why people are this way. Uh, with the avoider, they often, the child often becomes this way. Attachment specialists say that you can tell by observing a child in their first year of life what their core attachment style is going to be when they grow up just by observing their behavior. Right. The avoider is the child who is basically waking up in his crib and occupying himself with a toy or whatever because he, he doesn't need anything. He's fine. He doesn't need connection with other people necessarily. The people pleaser, they grew up in a family where they didn't feel as if they could ever really make mom and dad happy in a consistent way. And so they are just trying to do anything to gain favor and approval. And then you have the vacillator. Uh, the vacillator grew up in a home where the attention was very um, iffy and undependable. Right. Uh, they may have had a desperate need for their parents' attention or affection in uh, one particular week that was hard at school or whatever, but their parent was too busy or distracted or just lost in their own world. The following week when the parent thinks, oh, I want to give my child some attention, the child is so bitter over the fact that they didn't get it when they needed it, that it's like, nope, never mind. Talk yep. to the hand. Yep. And so their, it, their life is like a pendulum swing back and forth. I'm in, I'm out. I love you. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> go away. Don't leave me. Uh, everything is black or white, right or wrong, good or bad. And it's really hard to find a balance. The controller is someone who felt very out of control as a child. They were raised in a very chaotic home environment. And as an adult, their number one priority is to make sure that things never get as out of control as they were for me as a child. And they will control whoever is in their, their uh, you know, sphere of influence to make sure that that feeling doesn't come up for them. Right. And then you have the people who are in relationship with controllers and they would consider themselves the victims that they feel as if they have to do what the other person wants because it's their way or the highway. And they kind of just play the martyr role of, you know, well, I'm, we, I have to do this. I'm, it's kind of like the codependent, you know, the, the woman whose husband is an alcoholic and she just has to cover his tracks to, to save face with everyone type of a role. And so, I wondered, Corey, if you and I could talk about how these roles may relate to their spouses in the marriage bed. Because as you've said before, however you do sex is how you do life. Sure. Sure. And I mean, all of them are going to play out and they're going to, they fall into the high desire, low desire. They fall into what you seek, what you want, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, when, why. How, I mean, you talked about early on the show, the idea of we have routine and we have scripts and we have patterns that we follow. And, and they're all based on our childhood experiences. Right. It's how we learn to interact in our family of origin. Right. Um, and for people who are wondering, well, which one am I? The test is on page 123 of the How We Love book, and it wouldn't take more than 15 minutes to just, it's just a bunch of true false questions and the pattern services very quickly. It, it's not difficult to recognize okay. which one is you. When, okay. when you start putting truths all over the place in a particular section, you'll know that that's, that's probably that's, your core attachment you style are. right there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the avoider. If they avoid in life, how do they typically respond to their mate sexually? Oh, I'm always tired, busy, stressed. Distracted. Two, two other things. Yeah. Too many other things going on. Yeah. 
So a lot of times it might not be that they are particularly a low desire spouse or that they never want sex. Sometimes they just have a really hard time engaging because they had to be so independent as a child. And it's really hard to communicate dependence on a spouse when you're so accustomed to being independent that avoiders almost see it as a sign of weakness to say that I need something from you. Right. But what is, what is sex? If it's not vulnerable, communicate, excuse me, if it's not vulnerable communication like that. Yeah. And so the, the number one chore for the avoider would be to learn to engage, to learn to be vulnerable, to learn to speak up and to say, you know, I, I, don't necessarily, you know, feel the need for lots of conversation and, and, and verbal conversation, but I, I do have this sexual desire, but I don't want you to feel as if I'm just expecting you to be my sexual doormat. So teach me how you need to be treated in order for you to, 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 to want a desire to be with me. And then hopefully they can get on the same page sexually. Did it, did that come out right? Did that sound like a logical plan? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, the idea I want to make a quick detour as we get deeper into this, because here's the struggle, because you and I have had this conversation off the air on attachment ideas versus non-attachment ideas. And the struggle I have just with the way I view life and the way I, my theory of life and my theory of, of counseling and therapy that I do is attachment stuff so often turns into crutch of, well, this is just who I am. So... Ah. So you got to just take it. You got to accept it. You, if you don't speak my love language, then what good are you? You know, and it's like, no, that's not life. That's not that's not marriage in real life. You know, that's yeah, not you, that's not real world. Yeah, you, you can't use it as an excuse. Right. You can't you can't say, well, because I'm an avoider, you have to have sex with me, but expect no communication or emotional right. connection with me. Right. What we're telling you is that your number one assignment is to learn to engage with your spouse. And that's, that's what I love is the idea that, okay, if I can understand who I am, I'm better equipped to become better with who I am. Right. And you will make your spouse feel more secure in the relationship and you will inspire rather than require the sexual connection you're craving. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's the idea of the avoider is their, their goal is to learn how to connect better, learn how to be seen more. And to understand that your spouse may not be an avoider themselves. So just because you don't feel the need for a lot of conversation and emotional connection doesn't mean that they don't. Right. Right. And wherever a woman's heart goes, her body longs to follow. It is much easier to, I I know so much about this avoider and vacillator dynamic because my husband is an avoider and I am a vacillator. And according to Mylon and Kay, this is the most chaotic combination (laughs) because when you think about it, what the avoider wants least is exactly what the vacillator wants most. Right. The avoider doesn't want emotional connection. They're not comfortable with emotional connection for, for valid reasons based on their, their childhood. But that's what the vacillator wants and craves most. Right. And as a vacillator, I can honestly say that when I see my husband making efforts at striking up conversation, of asking how I'm doing lately, of, of, of wanting to know my emotional state, of having emotional conversations with me, it is much easier to want to have sex with him because I feel that emotional connection First, that right. emotional connection is just as vital to a woman's libido as visual stimulation is to a man's libido. Right. Right. Okay. So let's go on to the people pleaser. Go. 
What do you think a people pleaser, or how do you think a people pleaser operates in bed? <laughs> um, well, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but so oftentimes a people pleaser will do whatever they perceive the other person wants them to do, yep. but they don't verbalize their own wants, needs, and desires. And then they start feeling cheated. They start feeling like a doormat. They start feeling used and abused. And then they become bitter under the surface. Right. And so their number one assignment is to check in with themselves and ask, ask what they need and to be able to communicate that without fear that they're going to be rejected just because they have a need. They were basically taught as a child that you need to focus on, on meeting other people's needs, but don't have any of your own. Right. But that doesn't make for the healthiest two-way communication in the marriage bed. And that's what's so vital is the idea of learning how to seek what you want without the fear of rejection, without as much fear. Because it's not like the fear is going to go away. You know. Yep. You, you always have fear of some sort. But Yet dis discern what you need and ask for it. Again, right. it goes back to vulnerability. Right. So, and that, that's a big marker of growth is, is learning to seek what I want and, and learning to ask for what I want, learning to speak up. And that's, I run into so many people that it's just so mind boggling how they get into this rut of, I can't even ask for that. I can't, I could never say that. How could you, you know, and it's like, wait, Aww. wait, wait, just speak up, you know, say it. You're not going to offend people. Most likely, you know, if you're standing, if you're standing in a crowded subway and someone's standing on your toe and you said, Hey, you're standing on my toe. Most people, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. You know, most, Good people, point. most people don't just look at you and say, tough, deal with it. You know, right. <laughs> what are you, Who a are you to have pain? Right. <laughs> but some, but lots of times the people please will be like, oh, I can just bear the pain for a little bit longer because the train's almost here. Oh, you know, and it's like, wait, no, 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 no. Start speaking up. Start asking for what you want. Yeah. Now the vacillator they have no problem asking for what they want. <laughs> they will ask until they're blue in the face. They will beg, scream, cry, demand. They will pitch a holy fit trying to get that emotional connection that they are so craving. Right. What the vacillator has to learn to do is to have a balanced approach to the relationship that we talked about in the last show about how so oftentimes it's always or never. It's either I love you to pieces or I can't stand the side of you. I hate you. Don't leave me. Right. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. You're the worst thing that ever happened to me. And it can change within a 24 hour period. So rather than letting yourself get on this emotional roller coaster ride with high highs and low lows, try to find a healthy balance in the middle of, um, of just acknowledging that, Okay, the, the, the most recent sexual experience you had may not have been the best that you've ever had, but it probably wasn't the worst either. Uh, give your spouse credit where credit is due. Uh, give them praise for whatever they are doing right. Don't be so quick to focus on the negative uh, because a vacillator will drive their spouse crazy or, or drive them totally away with demands, uh, especially an avoider. The more a vacillator pursues, the more an avoider avoids. Right. And so if you have that marriage dynamic going on, I go back to the squirrel and the nut theory that the best way to, to get a squirrel to take a nut out of your hand is not to grab him by his scrawny neck and shove it down his chubby cheeks. That will never work. 
the best way is to lay down under a tree with a nut in your open palm and go to sleep. Yeah. Wait for your avoider to engage with you and then don't force too much on them at one time. Uh, it's like taking a drink out of a fire hydrant, you know, they just kind of give them, give yourself to them in limited doses and help them feel comfortable. And then they're willing to go to those deeper levels of connection and communication, but, um, kind of moderate it a little bit. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. And I have a personal question, Shannon, if you'll allow me. Sure. As a vacillator, cause that's mm -hmm. what you said you are. Yeah. Uh, and, and I call them, uh, velociraptors that, sometimes that, that because fits. I really can feel like a Toronto Tyrannosaurus Rex if my emotional needs aren't getting met. I get it. So you talked about one of the things that a, a spouse of a vacillator will drive them the most crazy is the volatility that can go on. The you know, anger. The, the yes. Extreme, the extreme. Well, I'm not necessarily thinking of an anger. I'm just thinking of the emotional roller coaster. It could be, you yes. know, that the highs are highs, the lows are lows. Does that drive you crazy too? Absolutely. As a vacillator. Is that something you're like, God, I don't like this about me. Absolutely. And, and now that I've learned what a vacillator is and why a vacillator feels the way that they do, I've learned to ask the magical questions, which are, when do I remember feeling this way before? What in my okay. childhood do I recall making me feel this way? What can I ask my spouse for that I truly need that doesn't put them on the defensive or make them feel threatened. Okay. Uh, you know, Greg has learned that whenever, um, I get off on one of my tangents that if I can get sad instead of mad, that is so much more productive because if I'm angry, he wants to run away because it's really hard to hug a porcupine. Right. And that's kind of what I feel like to him. Okay. Uh, but if I can get sad instead of mad, that inspires him to want to be my hero, to want to comfort me. Okay. So, so oftentimes he'll say, what do you need from me right now? And I just, I melt when he asks me that question. And sometimes I'll say, I don't know. And he'll say, well, come here and sit in my lap and let me hold you like a baby. That, to comfort that hurting inner child that got triggered is right. really, it is absolutely magical. It's, it's evolved into some of the best lovemaking experiences we've ever had when he sees that I'm hurting and he reaches out to comfort me and I feel that strong connection to him. It doesn't require a ton of, of conversation or communication. It's really just more of a sensitivity. Okay. So learn to get sad instead of mad and learn to have a healthy balance with your emotions. Try to be as emotionally stable as you can. And when something is bothering you, just tactfully approach your spouse and say, you know, I have something that, uh, that I've, I've kind of been sad about lately and I'd like to talk about it with you when it's a good time for you, but don't expect that it should be right now. And then you force that conversation on them. Okay. That's good. Uh, I recently saw on shark tank, this couple that had developed this, this, uh, concept of a stuffed elephant that when your spouse comes home, you put the stuffed elephant somewhere in the room that they can visibly see it. And that that's your way of saying, I need to talk to you about something. There's an elephant in the room, Okay. but you wait until the spouse picks it up as their way of saying, okay, I'm ready to hear what you have to say. <laughs> All right. And that way there's no feelings of rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's good. All right. So with a controller, how do you think that the controller interacts in bed? Well, uh, that's interesting because it could be two different ways I'm thinking of on, on either extreme. I mean, if you're talking about, if you case this in the high desire, low desire, the controller is going to try to control everything that happens. But I'm thinking the controller could also totally control it not happening. 
true because the controller <laughs> usually controls the whole dynamic. Right. They they want to be responsible for everything around them. Yep. That that that's pretty much the size of it. Is it they can either be the high desire or the low desire spouse? Is my guess. Right. Um, and what the controller needs to learn how to do is to be more sensitive to the fact that your spouse may have an opinion on the matter and their opinion may differ than yours. And it yeah. can't be your way or the highway and expect that your spouse will feel trust and intimacy and connection and safety with you. Yeah. And so sensitivity is the controller's assignment. The last one is the victim. What do you think uh, the desire is? For a per for a person whose attachment style is to be the victim. Um, yeah, th this is okay. This one's gonna. This might speak a little more about me. This is this one. The this one drives me crazy. Is victims. Yeah. Uh, there's something about it. I as a counselor. As a as, as a, a spouse. As a person. Or, just as a okay. person. Just seeing okay. just seeing people that play the victim drives me absolutely bonkers. Did one of your parents play the victim? You don't have to answer that question. <laughs> I'm just wondering why it's such no. a sensitive well, issue. Yeah, and, I, and that's stuff I wrestle with because yeah. it's it's one of those, okay, I, I know this about me. And so when I have a client for sure that comes up and they play the victim, it's I have to fight that and say, no, 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 this isn't about me. This is about them. You know, so what's, what will help them most in the moment and, and how can I connect with them? And, you know, so it's staying professional. But I just think of in my life, this is one of those, e, I don't like it. Well, and, and for those victims who are listening, thinking, oh, well, I will never ask Corey to be my counselor then. I would actually say, no, he would be the perfect counselor right. for you because he's not going to let you play the victim without challenging you to look through a new paradigm, you know, to have a paradigm shift and look through a new lens. Right. But how do you think the victim reacts and responds in a sexual relationship? Well, I'm guessing that they would play the role of they they're powerless to it's it's all about them it's it's not quite the people pleaser of i want them to be happy it's i have no other choice exactly exactly and their assignment is to get a backbone and to stand up for themselves right and to not let the controller railroad them and of course they're thinking how can i possibly do that without the controller walking all over me that's your challenge yeah. because you don't have genuine marital intimacy if you have the controller victim dynamic going on in your marriage bed, what you have is sexual abuse. Yeah. If you feel victimized, you need to explore why, what is it in your childhood that made you feel like a victim from your very earliest of years? And when that gets triggered in you, how can you ask your spouse for what you need to be able to get a backbone, stand up for yourself and ask for what you would like to experience. Right. So there you go. Yeah. There's our there's our five attachment styles. Again, people can learn more in the How We Love book by Mylan and Kay Yurkovich. They also have a book called How We Love Our Kids, which talks about attachment styles between parents and children. And I believe they have one coming out soon called How We Love Sex or Not. So you can be on the lookout for that. That'd be great. So I'm thinking to wrap this all up because it's something that to, to, to help drive this home more is recognizing how we do life is vital to creating something better. If, if you're in a situation where you feel powerless to you're, you're married to a spouse that doesn't want sex at all. Well, okay. Recognizing what's going on between you 
can open up the possibilities for something different. Or that just want sex less frequently than you yeah. do. Let's let's ourselves avoid the always or never thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when I can become better and when I can recognize more what I want and I start to seek what I want more from the better part of me, I open up the possibilities because usually that's going to be met by my wife's best part of her too. And that's that's the thing I have found is when you confront things head on and first and foremost you confront yourself your spouse responds well. You know, it's that idea of I'm taking charge of me and I'm not expecting you to prop me up, but I'm coming at you with me. Yeah, I'm not expecting you to fix me. Right. When Greg, as an avoider, learns to engage, I know that he is offering me his very highest self. Yeah. And when I, as a vacillator, learn to temper my mood swings and come at him with a very stable emotional mindset, he knows that I'm giving him my highest self. And when two people come together as their highest selves, guess what? That's the highest sex they can have too. Exactly. And I mean, add to add that last statement, add to that last statement is the, the thing I think of is a true marker of growth is when I want for my spouse what she wants for herself. Ooh. That's, that's a true marker of development. And That's if, quotable. And, and it's I, will, huge. I will rephrase it for the ladies. When I want for myself what my husband wants for himself, did I say that correctly? No, it's what I want for my spouse is what she wants for himself herself. So it's it's what I want for my spouse is what they want for themselves. There you go. And and that's the goal. And you, you want to please them. Right. You want to minister to their deepest sexual needs. Right. And that's that's what creates great marriage sex. That's and what creates great marriages. It absolutely is. Well, this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. We hope that uh, from this conversation, you've got a new framework maybe or a little deeper framework, and it can lead to bigger and better and greater things. So wherever you are, let us know. Send us an email, email at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com, and we will see you next time. <laughs>